What do shark hunting, ice road trucking, and teaching have in common? They should terrify us if we do them without being careful. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onward in the faith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. As Christians start growing in spiritual maturity, a lot of people will start entertaining the idea of becoming teachers themselves. People can spend years sitting in Sunday school classes or under a pastor's preaching, and over time, as they grow, as they learn, and as they feel that they are prepared to share their wisdom and their love of Christ with others, the idea enters their mind of, hey, I should just teach, I should become a teacher, or I should become a preacher. Now, for some people, this might be wanting to stand up in front of thousands of people and become famous. It could just be a small group of adults in a Sunday school class, or it could even just be teaching children. Whatever desires people have for teaching, it will hopefully come from a good place. For some, it could come from pride, wanting to stand in front of others, be impressive, look intelligent. You know, we could have all kinds of bad reasons for wanting to get into teaching, but for a lot of people, the desire will usually come from just a want to encourage their brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe they've had a teacher or a pastor who was a big influence on them, and so they want to ultimately do that same thing for someone else. They want to be that big influence in someone else's life and bring other people closer to Christ just as someone brought them closer to Christ. And so when you talk to people who have ideas of standing up in front of others or creating some kind of teaching content for people, a lot of times it's just a matter of, well, I feel like I know enough and so I should, or I just want to really be inspiring to others and and be encouraging. But teaching isn't just being motivational or being inspiring, which is what we see a lot of in kind of secular teaching. You know, you've got motivational speakers and life coaches and you know, really intelligent professors and things like that, people who stand up and just pour out knowledge or pour out inspiration and just lead others into more knowledge or better lifestyles or what have you. But when it comes to teaching others about Christianity or teaching from the Bible, there's another aspect that we really need to consider. Because when we teach the Bible, we aren't just giving out knowledge. We aren't just inspiring people to be better. What we're ultimately doing is we are taking on the responsibility for the spiritual growth of someone else. And so when we do that, we need to be very careful. And by the end of this episode, I think it'll be clear that this can actually be kind of a terrifying prospect because when we stand up and say, here's what God's word says, here's what it means, and ultimately here's how it should change our lives, we are taking on a certain level of authority over those who are listening to us. Now, of course, people are responsible for their own learning and for what they accept as truth. But when we stand there and we claim to represent the truth of the Bible, we need to take that job very seriously. Because if we stand up there and we are just trying to inspire others with our own cleverness, cracking jokes, making people laugh and things like that, it's very easy for us, especially in our current culture, to make people good students of us or make people impressed with us 
and ultimately act as entertainment for others. But if we get up there, we need to make sure that, number one, you know, we need to make sure we're very spiritually mature because it's not about being well-spoken. It's not about being smart even necessarily. In order to teach the Bible, it demands a level of wisdom that isn't just naturally given to us at birth. It's something that God develops in us as he allows us to go through life experiences and as he uses the Holy Spirit inside of us to teach us and to grow us into wisdom. Then we need to use that wisdom to teach others. And another way that teaching in the church or in a Christian context differs from just how we normally think of teaching out in the world is that we are in a way expected to be faithful to God's word above all else, even if it doesn't jive with the message we want to give, or even if it is uncomfortable, or even if it'll make people upset, we need to make sure that we are being faithful to what is taught in God's Word. Understanding, of course, that we are imperfect, and we are always learning. You know, I would be terrified if the only people who were qualified to teach were those who had full understanding of the entirety of the Bible, and all the nuances, and all the shadows that we see and all the historical context and and everything like that, because ultimately nobody would be able to teach because we are just flawed human beings. And we need to, in a way, be okay with that, knowing that if we are standing up to teach, if we're standing up to preach, our goal isn't to be perfect. It's not to be the best. It's simply to be faithful to God's word. But that's not a cop-out because to be faithful to God's word isn't just a head issue. It's a heart issue. It's a desire to put Christ above all else, to ultimately proclaim the majesty of who Jesus Christ is and not just be persuasive or clever or inspiring on our own. And now, of course, everyone is expected to understand God's Word. It's not just a thing for teachers where, oh, only the pastor really needs to study. Only the pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a podcast creator needs to really understand how to read God's word well and understand the context and apply it and things like that. Because all throughout God's word, we see the importance of us knowing God's word for ourselves wherever we find ourselves in our walk with Christ. For example, we ultimately can't do something that we don't know. If we are called to live a Christian life, if we are called to obey God through his word, We need to know God's word in order to know what to obey within it. So consider what James 1.22 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So how do we be doers of the word? Well, we need to know what the word is in order to do it. Or consider what Ephesians 6.4 tells us for fathers. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of of the Lord. So how do we teach our children about God, about the Lord, without knowing him ourselves? And how do we know him? We can say that we get it through personal experience and emotion, but really God reveals himself most clearly in the word that he's given us. And then whether we find ourselves in a teaching position or not, you know, Christ was very clear that we are called to make disciples. We are called to bring people to Christ, not just to be saved, but also to grow in spiritual maturity so that they can then make disciples themselves. But we're warned that our disciples are going to be reflections of us. So in Luke 6, verses 39 and 40, Christ says, and he also spoke a parable to them, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? 
A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And then, in a more broad context, we see this also repeated in 2 Timothy 2.2, which says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So again, if we are going to go out and make disciples, they're going to basically rise as high as we are. If we want disciples who are mature, who fully understand God's word, who love Christ deeply, then we need to be those people first. Because again, this isn't something where we just tell people, hey, come to church and listen to my pastor. In Matthew 28, 19, Christ is very clear about who is supposed to go and make disciples. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this applies to all of us. We are all called to go out and make disciples. We are all called to teach people, not just teach them how to be saved, but how to live as someone who is covered by the blood of Christ so that they can go out and make disciples. And then their disciples can go out and make disciples. So the idea of knowing God's word intensely and studying it well and being able to explain it to others, that's not just a role of some people in the church. If we are saved by the blood of Christ, then we all need to be working towards a level of spiritual maturity where we aren't just being discipled, but are making disciples ourselves. We are pointing people to Jesus Christ and drawing them closer to him, even as we are still drawing closer to him, even as we are still growing in maturity. But the important thing to realize from this, and especially with this conversation in this episode about the responsibility and the weight of teaching is that just because you know God's word, just because you are making disciples in a kind of one-on-one situation, whether it's within your family, your friends at work, and things like that, that doesn't necessarily mean that teaching is going to be the natural next step. Because teaching from the Bible in front of other people isn't meant to be this dream that just everyone should have. It's not like being a celebrity or being an athlete where everyone is just encouraged to just dream of going big and just being that person someday. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the weight and responsibility of teaching is a terrifying thing. And we as Christians need to enter into it with great consideration and a lot of prayer. Because as we'll see in James 3.1, Entering into teaching, taking on that role, taking on that responsibility and even that authority isn't just a casual thing. It's not something that God just calls everyone to. So in James 3.1, it says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And now if you were to you know, pause this and go actually read James chapter 3, kind of in its entirety, you would see that this warning about not everyone becoming teachers, not everyone being called to teach because of the greater strictness of judgment, because of the weight of the responsibility, this actually comes as sort of a prelude, a buildup to James's discussion on just how dangerous our tongues are. And not tongues in a supernatural sense, but how we use our words and how important it is to realize the power that that has. So in James chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, for example, it says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and a deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And so 
while we often go to these verses in terms of, you know, when someone has, you know, anger issues and they tear others down or when we need to be regularly reminded of how we behave online and how just because people can't see us, just because we can't see them, that doesn't mean that there's not another human being on the other side of our attacks online or on the other side of our mockery. That's where we often see this passage used. But what we also see is that when it comes to the warnings of teachers, it's not just that we use our words to tear others down. We also use our words to teach falsely about God. And while it's not said in the text, and I don't want to put something in there that's not there, I think that we can agree that it's not just our mouths that teach falsely about God, but also our lives. The things that we do, the way we act, teaches others about what we believe is true and right and important in life. So what is James talking about with this stricter judgment? Why should we be so terrified of teaching and enter into it with a somberness and a severity that is even more than just the seriousness we need to treat our lives in Christ? I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure anyone's 100% certain what this means. There's a lot of really good guesses for what he's talking about here. My understanding is that it can hit a few different areas of life. One thing is that when we're talking about judgment, it's how others are judging us. In other words, when we stand up to teach, we are going to be more closely examined by others. Because when we stand up to teach, it's not just like chatting with a friend about an idea we have about God's word. It's not just us sharing a thought or a potentially bad interpretation in small group. When we stand up to teach, we are saying that we have something to say. There is a truth in God's word that people need to consider and weigh for themselves and possibly allow God to use it to change their lives or to shape them or to deepen their knowledge and understanding of their Savior. And so when we do that, people are going to be examining us. They're going to be looking closely at us and saying, you know, are they practicing what they preach, essentially? Do they really believe what they're saying? Is their life compatible with the holiness or the righteousness or the love for God that they are saying that we should have? And if people find our lives lacking, not that they find us imperfect, but that they find a great hypocrisy in our lives. And this is where when we talk about, you know, Christian celebrities falling, this is what we see a lot of. It's not that they necessarily say something wrong or have a misunderstanding about something that they humbly you know, repent of or correct after some more study. It's when the lives of a Christian are examined or what unfortunately happens more often is that somehow this secret sinful life they've been living comes out and the those within the Christian community look and say, you know, how can they teach these things? How can they say this about God but be living day to day, moment by moment in this complete gross sin? And then the world looks at us and says, you know, this is a person who, you know, talked about the need for holiness and the need for following Jesus and giving up the passions and pleasures of the world. And yet here they were cheating on their wife or, you know, being greedy with money and things like that. And the world looks at us with great hypocrisy because that is what is ultimately going on. It's not just a broken person trying to lift up a perfect savior. It's a broken person using Jesus Christ, to hide the life that they're living. And that's a very scary thing. And that is, in a very large sense, why we need to be so careful about 
how we think about teaching and how we enter into it, because none of us are immune to the temptations of life. None of us are immune to falling into a sin that we may have never thought possible. And so as we think about teaching, we've got to be careful about how others are going to see our lives and do our lives support what we're saying. Now, another way that we might be able to think about this stricter judgment is that we are going to be disciplined differently in this life. You know, we know that God doesn't have any wrath left for us. He doesn't judge us because all of our judgment for our sin was placed on Jesus Christ at the cross. God has no wrath left for us because he poured it out on Christ. However, we also know that God is a good father who loves us. And because he loves us, he disciplines us not to hurt us, not to punish us necessarily, but to correct us, just like a loving parent will correct their child to steer them out of danger, to get them off of a dangerous path. And so when it comes to teachers, because we are taking on a greater responsibility and we are representing God and even teaching others that God is a certain way, it's quite possible that God is going to discipline us in ways that are more harsh or more immediate than we might otherwise be judged simply because of the role that we are filling in the lives of others. And not only might God's discipline be different, but church discipline itself might look different for a teacher who is found to be an error. And by that, I mean, if you have a teacher who is you know, really going off the deep end, maybe they're adopting some really weird theologies about who Christ is or how salvation works or things like that. If it was just a regular Christian, you know, a pastor or, you know, just a fellow believer could just approach them and just, you know, slowly walk through it with them. But if it's a teacher, if it's someone who is in charge of the spiritual health of others, that kind of church discipline needs to be more immediate and more swift and in a way more severe, possibly even removing that person from a teaching position simply because what they are doing isn't just dangerous to them or those in their immediate vicinity, but by standing up and teaching or preaching, they are carrying an authority that says, what I'm saying, what I'm doing is good and right, and you all should listen to it. And finally, while I don't personally buy into this one, another interpretation I've heard is that, you know, when we get to heaven, again, there's not going to be punishment or judgment for us. We know that there are no tears in heaven, but it's possible that if we spend our time teaching and possibly just die in our, in our sin and in our hypocrisy and in our lies— when we get to heaven, there's a chance that we're going to have kind of an awkward moment where the truth of who Christ is and who God is is fully revealed to us as much as we could handle it, even with our finite minds in heaven. And the weight of what we did on earth, the destruction that we caused, the, the, the time that we wasted when we could have been glorifying God to others, that might come crashing down on us in a way that is just hard for us to stomach because we realize what it is we spend our lives doing. Maybe that will happen. You know, again, we don't fully know. But overall, one thing we know is that there is a much greater seriousness to sin and bad teaching and bad doctrine that matches the greater responsibility we have of leading others in their walk with Jesus Christ. So in a practical level, that's why we need to be careful with just wanting to jump into teaching and just thinking it's this big celebrity thing or that we're going to be like a Christian branded motivational speaker. We need to be very careful with how we enter into teaching because there is a huge responsibility attached to it. And now when we again think about that in the terms of fallen Christian leaders, whether it's big name celebrities, whether it's a pastor at a local church, we need to realize that 
anytime we enter into teaching, we need to have a great consideration for whether we are apt, whether we are competent, whether we are, for lack of a better word, worthy of adopting a teaching position. Not that any of us could possibly be so smart, so wise, so pure to deserve to talk about God, but for what God calls us to, we need to ask, are we truly prepared and worthy and able to do what we're setting out to do? And even as we become teachers, we need to consistently ask ourselves, am I disqualifying myself from teaching? Am I truly living the life that God needs me to live in order to bear the responsibility he's given me? And I would call for these considerations for pastors and Sunday school teachers, and this might not be something everyone would agree with, but I would argue that even a children's church teacher should have this consideration because children aren't just a throwaway teaching opportunity. What they learn in Sunday school, what they hear their teachers say and teach them about should be reinforcing what they're hopefully learning at home, but ultimately it should be driving them towards the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Not just someone who calls for them to be moral people, but someone who calls for them to recognize even at a young age, that they are sinners, that they act and behave in ways that show that they are enemies of God and that they need Jesus Christ to save them. And a Sunday school teacher carries that responsibility. They aren't just babysitters who do coloring pages. They are someone who is teaching our children about our beautiful and perfect Savior in a way that is kind of bite-sized and appropriate for their age and their level of understanding. And so that's why I'd argue even children's church teachers, you know, teaching two and three year olds, everyone needs to be at a point where they are spiritually mature and responsible and capable in understanding of the role that they are filling in the lives of God's people and those who will hopefully one day become God's people. So understanding that seriousness, the reality that if we're going to enter into teaching, we need to, on one hand, understand that we are imperfect and we may get our understanding wrong. We may say something that doesn't quite match up with what the Bible actually says. One of our examples may be poor. You know, whatever it is that we do as imperfect people teaching from God's perfect word. And on the other hand, knowing the importance of regular study, both what we're teaching and just studying in general in our life, the importance of avoiding hypocrisy and on focusing on Jesus Christ more than pressing people. How do we take all of this and avoid this judgment that we realize is a thing? How do we avoid and steer away from ultimately disappointing Jesus Christ and being bad stewards of a unique opportunity he gives us in teaching or preaching? Ultimately, I think it's very simple because if a teacher or a preacher wants to avoid falling into sin, falling into error, they really just need to do the same thing the rest of us do. Because whenever I look at a teacher who falls, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a big-name celebrity, one thing that is always clear is that there's one part of their walk with God that I would assume was there originally, but they have since forgotten it. They've walked away from it. It has become less in their lives and in their hearts. And what I'm talking about, we can see in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. It says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. We also see this in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One understanding. So whenever we fall into sin in any capacity, whether we're teachers or not, the reason that we do it is because we don't fear God, or we don't fear Him more than we fear not having that sin in our lives, not enjoying that pleasure, not pursuing that desire. Our fear of us not having what we want outweighs our fear of God. 
And now when we talk about fear, this isn't a terror of God, that he's this big tyrant who's going to just crush us with his divine fist. But instead, this terror, this or not terror, this fear is an awe and a respect that is due to something that deserves it. So if you were, say, in a boat and you saw a storm coming in, you wouldn't necessarily run in terror of that storm, but you know that your little boat may not be able to stand up to what that storm is going to do. And so you're going to act in fear and reverence and respect of what that storm is, its strength, its power, its, in terms of storms, its destructive nature, and act in a way that shows that you know you're not better than the storm. You know that you can't outdo it just because you really want to. There is a reality that a little rowboat is not going to stand up to a hurricane, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we may try. And thinking about God is the same way. If we want to avoid sin, if we want to avoid judgment in our teaching, it's not about being better people. It's not about trying really hard. It ultimately boils down to fearing God, having an awe and a respect for his majesty, for his holiness, for his goodness and his love and his mercy, for everything that makes God who he is, letting that drive everything we do in our lives. And when we fail, when we fall into sin and temptation, to fear God and love him and respect him enough to repent and to do whatever it is that he requires of us in order to get back on track and back into a heart and a mind position where we are living in fear in a good way. We are living in awe. We are living in respect for who our God is. And as we teach, as we guide our children, as we just live day to day, we avoid sin, not because we're afraid that God's going to hurt us or punish us because that was done on the cross, but instead we avoid sin because we see who God is and realize that there is nothing that sin can offer us that is better than what we find in our God. And so branching off that, another consideration is that if we want to show a fear of God in a teaching ministry, one thing to realize is that just like our own lives, our day-to-day moments and decisions, a ministry can be about one of two things. It can either be about us, our desires, our ideas, our wants, our needs, or it can be about Jesus Christ. And so when we consider how it is that teachers fall and how we as people who may be in an opportunity to teach, what we need to do to avoid disqualifying ourselves or being under a harsher judgment or a stricter discipline from God, like I said, whenever we examine a pastor or teacher who falls or even just a Christian who falls, what we always see is that whatever they've done, whatever sinful life they've gotten into, whatever decisions they've made, however far they've fallen from being faithful to who God is, it's always going to start with one place, and that's just not properly fearing the Lord. And why does that happen? Because again, instead of keeping their eyes on Christ, keeping their hearts and their lives, and therefore their ministry focused on Jesus Christ, they take it off the cross. They set it on certainly the things of the world, whether it's a beautiful woman, whether it's money, whether it's relaxation or, you know, recreational substances. You know, there's many things that can distract us. But ultimately, when we take our eyes off the cross, we put it on ourselves. Because if we aren't seeking to please Christ, we are going to seek to please ourselves. We're going to tell our hearts, I'm not going to tell you no. I'm not going to deny you that thing you want. If you want it, if it'll make you feel good, let's go get it. And we can't do that if we are also trying to serve Jesus Christ. And of course, this doesn't happen all at once. 
we know from experience that falling into sin isn't just some instant thing where suddenly we have surrounded ourselves in lies and deceit and are constantly pursuing sin. It's a very long series of compromises and decisions to follow our flesh over Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, as we think about teaching and even think about teachers in our own lives, we need to pray and expect them and hold them up and even lovingly correct them to make sure that these teachers are not disqualifying themselves and making a mockery of God. Because a lot of times we'll see that when these teachers fall, it's not just this clear and obvious thing. It's a long time of months or a lot of times even years of just living in sin, of talking the talk of serving Christ, but walking the walk of serving themselves. And so these teachers will claim to represent Christ. But what they're ultimately doing is they're taking God's name in vain because what they're saying is, I represent God. I am delivering truth from his word. But that's not what they're standing for. They're standing for themselves. They are seeking to serve themselves. And maybe they've gotten to a point where they don't want to serve anymore, but what else can they do? Maybe their life as a teacher of God's word is comfortable. You know, whatever reason people have to ultimately live a lie and claim to represent God, we've got to realize that they're living in sin, not just by what they are doing with their lives, but also by then standing up and taking on the authority of a teacher of God's word. And that's a terrifying thing because Galatians 6, 7 through 8 reminds us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So any teacher that we have in our lives, we need to realize that the weight and authority that they carry is a terrifying thing. Because it is so easy for any of us to abuse and dishonor a holy God for our own foolish pleasures. But to do so while continuing to act in the name of God is something that is even scarier and even harder and something that we need to be even more mindful of because while we're not perfect, while we're all going to sin, to live in unrepentant sin, to just continue on living two lives is going to put us under that stricter judgment from God. In whatever form that takes in our lives, we as teachers and people as preachers are warned that there is a strict, harsh judgment for those who would take on the responsibility of teaching. And that is why anyone who wants to teach needs to realize it's not just a natural next step. It's not something obvious that everyone should be doing. It's not something everyone should aspire to. Yes, aspire to the spiritual maturity and wisdom attached to being a good teacher. Aspire to be able to read God's word and interpret it and study it and explain it to others in a one-on-one setting. Those are good things because those are ultimately just the mark of a mature follower of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that someone should just naturally say, okay, well, obviously the next step is to get into teaching, to stand up in front of people. Because there is a great and wonderful responsibility attached to that. And so if you are someone who does want to teach or is teaching, how do you protect yourself from sin and error? Like I said, it's the same thing for everyone, not just teachers. We have to start with a fear of the Lord. We have to love and respect everything that God is. We have to empty ourselves of our desires and everything that we think is good and right, because that's almost always going to come from a fleshly, sinful mindset. 
And instead, we need to put on Christ. Let him be our guiding post. Let him be the one who leads us into what is good and right, into what we should desire in life. And from there, we need to get to know God regularly. And we do that through prayer, through serving, but also through studying his word. Because we can't teach about the one that we don't truly know. And we can't know him without getting to know him through what he's given us. We may not sometimes like that we have a book to get to know God by. We want to just feel the emotion. We just want to live life and be kind of in the spirit. And while those things can help, that's not the primary way God has designed us to know him. And as teachers especially, that is not how we are to lead others. We don't lead on emotion and feeling. We don't let the world dictate what is good and right and try to form Christianity into that. We start by loving God's word because we have a incredible awe and respect for the one who gave it to us. And from there, all we can do with our lives is just serve Jesus Christ in everything we do, in our teaching, in our home life, in our quiet time, and what we do on our phones, in every area of our lives. If we are fearing the Lord and if we're studying his word, then we're going to be able to faithfully serve our Savior in everything else in our life. So in conclusion, if you are a teacher or if you want to someday teach, make sure that you prayerfully go into it, understanding the weight that you'll carry. If that terrifies you, if you feel you're not qualified, don't just do it because people say you should or you feel like you should. Let it be something that you know God is calling you to. And for everyone, whether you're a teacher or not, you have a teacher in your life, even if it's just your pastor. Make sure you're praying for them. Because as we've seen, teachers and pastors carry a beautiful but terrifying responsibility given to them by their God. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. This is a listener-supported ministry. If you would like to join in and support this ministry every month, you can visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. I hope this episode helps you keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.